On this episode of Always Be Creating, I'm joined by Dustin Furman, executive producer of Last Stand Media, which is one of the largest podcast networks currently on Patreon with over 15,000 paying members. We dive into the production nitty gritty all about how Dustin and his team produce a daily podcast, sometimes up to four hours long, and post-produce it entirely remotely. If you're somebody who wants to know the ins and outs about scaling a podcast network or podcast business entirely through remote production software, you're not going to want to miss it. Now, let's get into the episode. So I'm here today with Dustin Furman. First off, Dustin, huge fan of your work, everything you guys do at Last Stand Media. I've kind of been with you guys since the beginning, since you kind of joined on, longtime fan of Colin's work, and have just been really in awe of the kind of podcast empire you guys have built over there. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's um, It's been a crazy ride these last few years, just, you know, with all the different shows and stuff like that. So yeah, thanks for having me. Anytime. So, so for people who don't know, I'd love to get your sort of quick elevator pitch. How'd you get started in video and how'd you kind of scale your career up to this point? Oh man. Uh, so that's, I'll try to be a, a quick answer. I mean, it can go real far back to like discovering windows movie maker and finding kingdom hearts clips, uh, <laughs> online and then making like Lincoln park music videos. That's kind of where that's the, really the origin of where it all began. But I really got, actually interested in doing video production in high school in particular my uh the school i went to in 11th to 12th grade had an awesome video program that included a morning announcement show and different video one video two stuff like that and my teacher there mr robbins was awesome he took like he could tell that i was really interested and i was serious about it and he kind of took me under his wing and really helped me out that's like where i first used premiere um, learned about audio and running soundboard and so all kinds of different stuff. So it was really through him that I learned the basics. And then it was shortly after high school that I got my, I guess technically at this time, at that point, my first and only actual like standard video job where I was working um, at a local place, just me and one other guy uh, doing all kinds of different stuff with like basic video production stuff, like whether it's uh, weddings, of course, are a big one, dance recitals, musicals, local commercials, stuff like that. And I did that for eight years, I think, actually. I, I think it was about eight years. Yeah. Um, maybe a little less than that, but a long time um, before eventually I started working with Colin and switching to doing online um, like podcast media and stuff like that. Did you did you go Were you scammed like I was on film school or did you avoid that trap? Almost. I was almost scammed at film school because so I was going to community college uh, right after uh, high school and I wanted to do the film route. Like in particular here in Pittsburgh, there's like Point Park University and uh, Robert Morris are two really big schools that have big either video or film programs. And I really wanted to, but it was just so expensive that I thought, well, I'll do uh, I'll do community college first and then look at that in two years and we'll make a decision then but i did go to this school for one semester called pittsburgh filmmakers which i don't think is even around anymore but they had like full programs that weren't actually accredited but highly respected and so i did 
I, I uh, tested into like their not their intro, like out of their vi- their intro course and into their first video production course, and I mean this with no arrogance at all. But my high school class was so good, and I know a lot of I was very blessed to have that. Is that that whole course was super easy, and at the end of it, I was working so much in video production that I thought I could keep doing this or I could just start working and and see where that goes and that's the route I went and I ended up dropping out of community college too just because I was working enough that I thought I don't know I honestly did I was like I don't know if I have have what it takes to be in film in particular um so I was kind of leaning against that at that point so I just decided to just start working and get experience I like that. What was it kind of that flipped that switch for you between sort of the traditional film route of being on like large scale sets and wanting to more foray into like the online video space? Well, I, I got to say the, one of the main factors was just as I was learning about the film industry, a few things became clear was that uh, I would probably have to move, first of all. And I knew that that was a reality. But as I was kind of, you know, I was uh, dating who would be my wife, Holly, at the time and I didn't know, you know, what was going to happen there. And I didn't, I don't know. A lot of people, particularly in my small town, want to leave as soon as possible. I never felt that way. Like, I I love it here, and I hope I can live my whole life here. I'm not opposed to ever moving, but that wasn't really something that interested me. And the other thing, too, was just realizing how competitive it was just to even do basics up just to get a seat at the table mm-hmm. which is funny because i ended up pivoting to video games which is probably equally as competitive but it was different because i think i realized um i was really into video games in high school and then there was like this short period where i was still playing games but i wanted to be in movies and then when i realized that wasn't it i was like oh yeah this is i need to get back on the right path um and that's when everything kind of changed where I decided to, I was like, yeah, the whole film thing. Um, the, another part of that too, is I did an internship at a place here in Pittsburgh. Uh, like there was kind of a production and virtual effects place called animal. Okay. And it, uh, I learned a lot. There are great people there, but I learned a lot and I was like, I just don't know if this is what I want to do. I love it. Yeah. I mean, in terms of, secondary schooling and all that kind of stuff. I feel like nobody needs to go to film school. There's such a wealth of info on YouTube that you could pretty much Mm -hmm. learn anything you want, especially when it comes to something like film production or even online media that you don't need to debt yourself on on going to school. Let's fast forward a little bit. Sure. You're now, correct me if I'm, you're executive producer, head of video of the largest video game podcast, Patreon podcast network on the planet, right? Yes, as far as we know, as long as there's someone out there that doesn't have their numbers hidden or something. But publicly facing on Patreon, yes. That is a gargantuan lift. Even coming into this situation with Colin's background and his sort of name and, and experience that he has, you guys have really cornered the market and grown to more than just one type of content. So you guys are up to how many shows now a week on your slate? So it depends on the week. It's... um. One week is seven days a week, and then the other day, other week will be six days a week. So it's 13 out of 14 days in two weeks that we have content coming out. That's, 
I mean, so what we do at BAM, I'm right there with you. We're producing daily content. We have a podcast or a YouTube video go out pretty much every single day. So I, I understand and I respect the, the hustle, as it were, to produce that level of content and to keep that wheel spinning. When you're producing that, are you guys batch filming on days? What does your production workflow look like? And I, I know I can talk nitty-gritty with you because so many of our podcasts are also remote that mm-hmm. I really want to get into this. So run me yeah. through A to Z on that. So the way I look at it is that we have our constants in the schedule that mm-hmm. never change unless there's something big going on where we have to move things around or react to something like, you know, a, a press conference or something like that. So, for example, like Sacred Symbols always records on Thursdays, pretty much always. We've, Like I said, there's been a few instances a year where we'll move things around, but we can always plan me, Colin, Chris at 1 p.m. on Thursday are recording. And the same goes for Defining Duke on Wednesdays and now also with Punching Up, that's every other Monday we are recording. And so those are like the most consistent. We know these are going out every week. For sure, and um, the subject matter. Well, it's different. It's just like these are the mainstay shows. These we want to keep as consistent as possible. Things get a little different when it comes to our bonus Patreon shows. So, like uh, Sacred Symbols Plus and Defining Duke Ultimate, in that we have a little more flexibility with those. So, Sacred Symbols Plus, uh, we do two episodes a week. So one releases Wednesday and one releases Saturday. So we have. Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday to record those two episodes. And often those are a lot more. We bring in a lot more people, a lot more guests. So we, it's nice having that flexibility for guests to be able to, like, one of those three days, we can, we can fit them in. So there's that. Um, and then the other thing that really helps as far as the scheduling aspect is just that um, – I guess this comes in the, with what I was saying earlier about consistency is that, like, we – no, Maddie and Cog understand part of their working relationship us is that they always do this. And then every other week on Fridays, they record Defining Duke Ultimate, right? So it's like we're a team of freelancers and there's like our core team, which is me, Ben, Micah, and Colin. Mm-hmm. And it's just that under- mutual understanding of like consistency, everybody doing what they need to do. Like for example, another example of this is just Ben, our um, associate producer, he is super reliable. I always know that when I go to get the episode ready, he handles all of our audio production. That when I go and I check our Google Drive to to get it up on Patreon, it's always going to be there. And if there was something wrong or something happened, he's going to let me know as early as possible. And when you're doing content 13 out of 14 days, that kind of consistency is absolutely essential. So that's that was a whole bunch of things all at once but i don't know if if you have a more specific aspect you want to get into yeah i mean let's really start unpacking that into the nitty-gritty in the sense of you've got you you've got ben you're on sacred symbols but i know you guys take really in-depth and well fleshed out timestamps. are you having somebody go through on the back end when it comes to producing those timestamps and re-listen to the show or do you have somebody kind of waiting in the wings Mm -hmm. sort of dictating the whole thing so here you'll you understand production, so you'll understand. Uh, very often, I tell people I hate timestamps, and they don't understand why. Yep. And you will understand why. So here's the process 
of I'll explain timestamps as I just explain the production project or aspect is that uh, Secret Symbols will say records at one and we record for who knows how long, four hours, sometimes four, yeah. four and a half hours. So when that's done, we'll all um, upload our audio. We record everything locally and it's recorded on an app like we are now. Really? And yeah, I, so we I wanna, always have doubles. I want to come back to that. That's okay, we can come back to that. Let's focus on the timestamps and say, I won't go into this. We'll, we'll, we'll get nitty gritty in a minute. Timestamps are done by Ben when he's fine editing the audio. Mm-hmm. So Ben, after a show is done, listens to all of it. The, so when Sacred Symbols records for four hours, the next six hours uh, is Ben going through, removing every um, uh, space or whatever in there that needs to be cut to basically we want our audio podcasts. They really are the best way to consume our content. Obviously, video is huge for us, and we're we're really proud of that aspect, but the audio is really the pristine experience that we sound way better than we actually do in real life because of Ben's work. And that's something that that was actually my first job working for Colin was editing the podcast until I eventually moved up and and doing other stuff. So Ben makes those timestamps in the audio as he's editing. So the issue we run into though, is that because Ben is fine editing the, the timestamps when we, move them over to video, they don't work because it's no longer in sync. So my job is to go in and rewrite all of the timestamps for the video. And I hate it. It is the worst part. I always joke and I I like jokingly say like, I know this is like first world pain um, to its highest degree, but this is the worst part of this job because Initially, I would go through and I would like listen to each part to like, okay, this timestamp starts here. I have a good idea based on Ben's, but they're not totally right. But I've started using um, Premiere Pro has a uh, a caption feature. Yep. yep so I've started doing that. And then I can search for whatever was said. And that's made it a lot easier. So timestamps are a pain in the butt, but uh, they're people love them and they're an essential part of the the biz. So I get it. Yeah, that's something that consuming your guys' content is, always stood out to me, right? Because you've got your, your standard timestamps, you know, segment one, segment two, segment three, but you guys, like, down to the sentence will go in. But So my next question to kind of piggyback off of this is I know a lot of different software solutions are coming to market right now that will help that, like, um, FireCut, and there's another mm-hmm. one that will kind of scan the transcript for you. Are you guys implementing any AI workflow efficiencies to get things sped up at uh, LSM? I guess that theoretically could be possible, but the problem too is just that there are so I, I'm I've not really looked in to see how like how efficient they work now. It would have to be pretty complex because we have three separate tracks that would need to be cut and then still remaining synced together. So I don't I'm assuming I mean AI now, I'm sure that something like that is definitely possible, but there's other things too where I mean, first of all, the AI, we would still need someone to go and do timestamps um, regardless of that. And so that's part of it. And then there's also times where we make very few cuts in our shows, but they mm. do happen. For example, on Punching Up on Monday, I totally wrote down a totally wrong number when it came to sales data. And Gene was like, I don't think that's right. And, and so I realized, I was like, eh. I'm, we'll just restart this part. Um, and that's usually the case of why we have a cut. So it, it would need to, I guess we would need to factor in those cuts as well. But I don't know. I'm, I'm curious about something like that, but I just don't know. 
I don't know if it's as good or would be as clean as having, you know, an actual person do it. Yeah. I mean, in, in my experience, it's definitely a proof of concept where you're like, oh, the two years from now version of this is going to be scary good, where it'll get like yeah. the silences, the ums and the ahs pretty well done. It'll generate timestamps based on the transcript. But yeah, it's definitely not 100% there. So let's keep expanding on this because so you guys record for let's say four hours ben's editing for four hours episode goes live the next day that's roughly the turnaround time yeah for the crazy dude it's um it's getting more tough now especially this year because we've added two additional shows this year and not all of them are next day air and that's one thing that i've been trying to push not always successfully is just that when it comes to sacred symbols plus I always try to when we're when we're scheduling be like listen if we can schedule these so let's say the Wednesday episode we record Monday and the Saturday episode we record Tuesday mm-hmm. so we're avoiding it's like we, we have so much stuff that is next day if we can give ourselves a little breathing room in the production side it's ideal it doesn't always happen with guests and stuff and the way we line things up but it is something that I'm always trying to push for so but yeah dude the the real tough one in this scenario is defining Duke because hmm. defining Duke starts recording um, because uh, Cog has a a, a nor, you know an actual job outside of podcasting so we we work within that schedule and we're you know we're happy to do that it does make it can make it a little time constrained where if they're starting at between six and six thirty p.m. and they're done around nine or nine thirty sometimes sometimes past ten. We're getting that. So Ben has to, you know, Ben is the one, the really the unfortunate, like he, he's the one who suffers the most because he, his job takes the longest when it comes to the audio. But Duke becomes this um, particularly tough because I, I wish there was a reality where all of our shows could be scheduled the night before and nothing is done the day after. Mm. But it's just Ben's still working on those timestamps and getting that audio ready. So it's like, well, Thursday morning, that's when it all comes together um and the other thing too is just that like for sacred symbols when when we're recording that i will uh get the video ready on thursday night and get that exported it has to be uploading the night before but um i honestly just don't have the energy to make a thumbnail on thursday nights normally like a- course, after it's draining yeah after podcasting for four and a half hours doing whatever stuff before the the duke stuff in the morning and then doing all the production for sacred. I'm like, I just, I don't, our, our thumbnails, you know, are, are silly and weird and stuff. And I'm like, I just don't have that energy anymore. So I'll, I'll do it the next morning, which is fun, but also sometimes the pressure's on. Cause if I can't think of anything funny, it's like, uh, uh so I don't know, maybe that's a good or a good thing. Maybe it's not, I don't know, but it's, uh, it's tough. The, 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 the turnaround time is definitely one of the most difficult aspects. Yeah, I, I mean, I can totally speak to that. Obviously, when we need to put out a video on, like, uh, like let's say Zillow earnings report just dropped, right? Our yeah. CEO needs to do a video on that. That's a very timely video. We need to get that turned around in a timely manner. So I, I definitely am right there with you in terms of the pressure is on to turn the video around, but it still needs to be turned around at a certain level of quality, regardless of the time that you have to do it in. Yeah, well, just and one other note on that, too, is that so our videos aren't that complicated in that they're just, you know, our, our cameras and then there's a background and there's titles at the beginning. And sometimes there's ads placed in there, but that's like a lot of layers in Premiere. Yep. And so if 
you discover the next morning that maybe there's one layer that's active that wasn't supposed to be, or maybe your in and out point was slightly wrong. It is in it, that's when the most stress starts happening for me because I'm like, oh no, we got to render this four hour file and try to get it out by uh, noon because it's one of those things. It's like, yeah, it could be late, but I just we we hate doing that. Like we we want to be that consistent for people. And I I think that the most impressive thing I can point to to your business that you guys have built is how small your team is, right? It is shocking to me that so many people, they, they look at big companies like you, they look at big content production houses, and they're like, wow, you guys must have 100 people working there. And then when you really dive into it, it's like, no, you really only need a handful of really tactical people. I look like at BAM, I call them like my video SEAL team. Like if you know what you're doing, you'll hit the mark every single time. So mm-hmm. I think that's awesome. Um, question before we get into gear. Yeah, go for so it. So is the choice, because I know you'll, you'll see different styles of podcasts when they're done remotely, you know, you'll have like the speaker switch of who's on screen the longest. Is it because you guys go so long that you keep all three people on frame at one time? The The reason is just that it's the turnaround is, and I know that, you know, both Zencaster and Riverside have options to kind of do the auto switching, but because the turnaround is so quick, that's one of the reasons just that it's like to find edit the video like that and do the different camera angles, which I know there's like live solutions you can do. I think StreamYard has something like that. Yep. But then we would like, we would probably need a producer for some shows. So that's adding another person in. The other thing too, is that, and I don't know this would be the case for all of the shows is that we get a lot of comments that was like, Oh, I, uh, Chris's reaction when Colin said this was hilarious. And if we were doing single, you know, different thing, then you would miss a lot of that. A lot of people are like, Mm -hmm. I like the fact that I can see all of you at the same time. And I guess there could be an argument that, you know, in the world of YouTube where you need a million cuts all the time and a million different stimulating things happening, that the cuts could be helpful. But at the same time, it's like, it's already not that it's a four hour podcast. You're either in or you're not. So I think that, you know, that's kind of the main thing we've, talked about trying to put game trailers over when we're talking about Mm. specific games but then again it's the the turnaround time and also not getting copyright striked because surprisingly some of these companies will be like hey you advertised and used our trailer we want money from that it's like oh no you know it's just not even worth dealing exactly you know so let let's talk before we get to gear because i think especially with a team as lean and effective as you guys have over there with these quick turnaround times, what does your backend look like in terms of coordination? Are you guys using a project management software? Is it all done via Slack? How do you track the videos in the pipeline? And what do you sort of, how far ahead do you know the videos are done and kind of get everybody on the same page? Uh, we probably should have something, some kind of organized. We do have, I don't want to say we have no organization, but Again, this comes down to just making sure everyone is doing the things they need to do and everyone's staying on top of communication. So like a big part as far as, you know, phase one of an episode or something like that is Micah, who's our coordinator. She's the one really making sure that it's like, okay, what day can we record this? She's the one going and and talking to everybody and making sure that everyone's good on the same page. And we all communicate through – we have like a staff discord, which is where a lot of that communication happens. 
We also have um, a a calendar for different recording stuff, but I think that only me and me, Micah and Ben and Colin are on it. So just the core. So, and I guess that makes sense because everyone else is technically a freelancer who is involved in our shows. Um, not that they're not part of our team or family or whatever, but it's just a different type of relationship. So they're kind of all expected. Like you, you know, when you're supposed to record, we've made that clear and you show up and stuff like that. Having a project management software actually is not a bad idea. We've talked about doing stuff like that before. It's just, um, it's one of those things that for the most part, everything is pretty, pretty consistent. Like I said, it's like Thursday is always this sacred Mm -hmm. symbols, same time, same place. And so it's one of those things like we don't, we wouldn't need to catalog that really. The main communication as far as episode production work is just i mean it's just ben and i Mm -hmm. once once the show is recorded it's just ben and i doing everything (laughs) at that point um and it's not that that's the only work that goes into a show colin puts a ton of work into prep or maddie or whatever they're the ones that are all the 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 pre-production stuff and then as soon as production and post-production it is really just ben and i from that point till when it's on patreon it's it's all us Are you a video creator looking to set your work apart, whether it's in your own freelance business or for a brand? Then you should check out BAMX. BAMX has the best courses, communities, and live stream in the entire real estate community. And I know what you're probably thinking, Bobby, but you don't sell houses. Correct. But I also create videos for the number one real estate media site on the internet. And my DMs get flooded with people asking me, Bobby, how do you make those captions? Bobby, how do you set up your podcast? Bobby, what camera do I use? I answer all of these questions and more in BAMX. More to the point, you get access to me and all the other BAM creators through our private Facebook group. This is a resource that I wish was available to me when I was just starting out, and I hope that you'll join us there and find value in it. Use code BOBBY23 for 20% off. Gotcha. All right, so let's, let's jump into the production side of things here because you guys are recording separate audio What's mm-hmm. that about? Because that is so interesting. Let's let's go for it. Okay, so the reason we do this is um, we th- the plan was when we started doing remote, we knew we never wanted to lose uh, an episode because that's the you know the bane of mm. all podcasters is the uh, my input wasn't selected right or this wasn't the right crapped out yep. yeah so. It was it was on me to create a a system of backups and this this is the, the there are backups of backups and I'm very happy with how this worked out because we haven't I don't I don't think we have ever lost an episode since we implemented this we've had to make amendments to episodes where where um, <clears throat> certain people don't have uh like video or something like that but we always have a workable version of, of everything that we do. So uh, the way this works is we used to use Riverside. That's what we're recording on right now. But we had a bit of a problem where they were losing episodes on us. Like we had a few different times. Yep. And it, it okay, doesn't always hit the mark with Riverside. Yeah. Riverside is great in that it has the best feature set without a doubt of all of these apps. We actually, it's it sucks. We, we thought Riverside was really awesome until we were, losing episodes and we were already kind of annoyed because the the sync when you record so long on riverside the sync starts to get a little out you get you got to do that you got to do the clap at the end too and stretch the audio yeah yes yeah and it's one of those things that it's manageable 
But when you're doing as many shows as us, it's like we want as few barriers as possible in order to just make production easier. Um, so we use Zencaster now, which we still also have problems with, but less problems overall. It's also we found to be the most uh, – to have the least amount of latency in terms of talking to one another – this seems pretty good, though, right now. It's been a while since I've used Riverside, but... It's it's so interesting you say that, because we're the opposite of BAM, where I was all in on Zencaster, and then uh -huh. I had it started having those issues with file corrupted, your person skipped out, and they didn't have a chance to upload. The laundry list goes on and on. But with Riverside, I haven't quite had that issue. I like the backup thing, and I want to keep pulling on that there. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, I'll tell you about the backups of backups. Yeah. So... Everything's recorded on Zencaster, and for the most part, when I pull the video version, I'm just using the audio from Zencaster, those files. Yeah. At the same time, uh, the gear we use, I don't know if it's in, in Shaw for you, we use Podcast Zoom P4. Or it's do you like the, the, do you like the, P, do you like the pod tracks? I was thinking about getting those. They have been the best solution that I've found for what we want to do. We've had a few issues with them, particularly... And I've talked to Zoom about this. These eat SD cards. Like something about really? the way they write. We have to buy um, V90s. We have, to buy, here, wait. we have to buy these expensive Lexar. Yep, the, the V90 because, ones. Yeah, we were finding it was just eating other ones, like totally busting cards. And so now we've been getting these expensive ones, and we still have had them eat a few cards. Where it's just they just stop, they start getting corrupt, you, you reformat them, and they just don't work. So that's the only negative thing. But the important factor of the pod track is that you can use it as an interface, which is what I'm doing right now. So you're hearing me through the pod track, and you can record two SD at the same, at the time. same time. That's awesome. But it goes one layer deeper in that so if I had my SD card in here and I hit record, I can also record on a track everything that I'm hearing through my headphones. So uh. there's a recording on Zencaster. We have everyone's individual files on our pod tracks. And technically, we have the over-the-internet version that's coming through the headphones that we could use. In absolute worst-case scenario where the other two backups screw up, we have this kind of other track that's recorded here. So, And that mix minuses for you automatically so you don't catch an echo on there? Yeah. You know, yeah. There's I We haven't had any kind of issues with that at all. So... It's it. These have been other than the the SD card thing. These have been absolutely fantastic. Everyone on our team has one of these. Um, and like I said, since we've since we've done that, because like we've had problems where uh, a ZenCaster file is slightly corrupt. Well, we still have the audio. We still have mm -hmm. like good native audio. Or we have an issue where one of these cards craps out, but we have the ZenCaster audio. We always have a backup, and it. In the rare, this hasn't happened to us yes, yet, knock on wood, but in the case where Zencaster would crap out and someone's card would screw up, someone else would have a version of their audio. So someone there's... else has the redundancy. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so you guys have a pretty stable cast of characters, so I, I, I get the consistency of video stuff there. We're using the... Um, I've used Zoom, the Rode, Pod. It's like the big interface. I can't right. think of the, the name right now. And it's overkill it's for what it is. I've, I've totally been looking into those Zoom ones. For video, what are you guys running? So video, we are all running our own different setups. For me, I have a stupid, ridiculous overkill. I have the Sony um, A7C as, as my camera, which is just totally 
unnecessary, but I really I wanted to that... have a full frame webcam. So I completely, yeah. I completely get where you're coming from. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's what I use. Um, Colin uses, we have got him one of the Elgato webcams, the one of their nicer like 4K ones, and that's been great. We we honestly, for the most part, aren't too concerned of the video quality just because it's not. It, it's like whatever you want. If you want it to look like full frame like this, then by all means go for it. But we're also not trying to be like the best, highest uh, production quality ever just because people actually kind of like that about us is that it's like you're getting a view of what a, a call would look like with us, not some kind of highly produced aspect. The audio for us is where it's like, that's where we want it to sound as good as possible because that's, you know, the primary means of, of consuming the content. Yeah, I call it the Barstool Sports effect. If you ever watch uh, with Barstool Sports, it's like sometimes Dave Portnoy will be like on his iPhone and holding like a Shure mic, but it so lends that authenticity of it. Right, yeah. So... You guys send out a audio package to all of your different cast of characters. They all have the Zoom. They all have the Shure mic. Are you using a cloud lifter with that, or just it's got enough juice in it to to make it work? It has enough juice in it to make it work because I've cons- when we were buying everything, a lot of people were saying like you got to have the cloud lifter in order to get this, you know, to boost it up a little bit. And then when I was reading about the the uh, the pod track that were the Zoom P4, people were like, yeah, it it has preamps in it that are are good enough and. Mm-hmm. I've always been curious if it would sound better if we if we used a used one of those, but no one's. I've never. I, honestly, I I should probably just get one and test it. But it's one of those things like it works and sounds great. So why fiddle with it any more than necessary? Yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Okay. Yeah. The backbone, I think, is even that's what I wanted to say before is latency, right? How do you yeah. guys? What kind of internet are you guys running in terms of? Do you guys all have fiber? Because I feel like, regardless of the program, that's the one thing I always preach to people is like the biggest underestimation is you got to have good internet if you're wanting to make this work. Yeah, well, and that's the funny part is that I don't have that great internet. It's really? not. It's not horrible. Our down, my download speed is awesome. Not the most awesome. It's like a few. Like I think. 300 down or something like mm-hmm. that so it's not bad my upload speed is 20 megabytes and and, for, and you're uploading th- three four four hour files yes. to google drive and then having that down the wow okay yes it's it sucks because it's it's funny my parents live outside of dc and so they have amazing upload speed and so i'll be working remote there and i'm like oh i just uploaded a video in 25 percent of the time <laughs> here maybe even faster than that and it's like damn why can't we have something like that here so for the most part though i I found that unless you have something like truly horrendous the 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 20 megabyte upload hasn't really affected my call quality or latency it's really just making sure that everyone is hardwired that's the thing too yep that's the thing i was trying to tell everybody when we were starting when we started to remote i'm like everyone needs to be hardwired and then someone would sneak in and, and use wi-fi and i'm like no i know you are I not know, i you, can tell i can I tell can tell this is your problem you need to you need to hardwire so that dude that's the the absolute biggest thing is just hardwired and for the most part too we it 
we had weird issues every once in a while that we could not determine. Like one of the locations, uh, Chris has moved around so much while we've done the show. One of his locations, we just consistently had problems with Zencaster. Like we tried talking to them, tried working with the ISP, and it was just randomly mm-hmm. um, different things were disconnects and stuff like that. And then eventually he moved and it never happened again. So it's just kind of up in the air. But yeah, just the, the hardwired connection is probably the only essential aspect of it. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so I want to move now into post-post-production, right? You mm-hmm. guys have published it live. You guys have this dearth of content, but only recently have started a clips channel. I want to know the, the sort of editing ethos behind that, even one layer deeper on the business sense of things, where it comes into, you guys did the show for so long, why the clips channel now? What's the strategy behind putting content there? Yeah, we actually, we, we recently stopped doing the clips. Oh, really? We, okay. we found that it wasn't really worth it, uh, which is weird. This is one of those things where, it, at least to me, all common knowledge said, do a clips channel. Yeah. And I think the weird part is that I talk to my friend, Jimmy Champagne, all the time. He gets mentioned on our show. He's like a sure, YouTube sure. guru, understands all this stuff. And I, I talked to him about it. I'm like, I don't know why this didn't work for us. He's like, well... A lot of the YouTube algorithm has changed, and it's not that you can't have a successful Clips channel, but you need a lot more, um, probably a bigger following in order to get that going. So The ball rolling. Yeah, yeah which is crazy, because so he was saying, like, yeah, it's now more, if you were to do Clips, you should just do a few and do them on your primary channel, because hmm. YouTube switched to, to, I think you said, uh, to returning viewers, like if, okay. if you're a viewer and you watch a video and then you watch another one, then that's like a big signal to the algorithm to like, hey, you should you should come and we'll feed you more of this type of content. So I think there was that factor that um, that things changed. But I, I wonder this is that I wonder if we made a mistake with the Clips channel where I wonder if we should have shadow dropped it where we just put huh. it out there and never mentioned it because my theory in my head was. We started this Clips channel. We told everybody, hey, go subscribe to the Clips channel, to our primary audience. But the problem is that content, those clips aren't for the primary audience. So they went and checked it out, and they would maybe click a video and listen to a little bit of it and then be like, oh, I already listened to this, or I'm going to listen to this. So they would then leave and then just listen to the primary episode or whatever. So YouTube read that as like that people don't – they're not connecting with this. So I wonder if we would have done that differently if um the clips channel would have been more successful but maybe at some point we'll we'll reevaluate and and look at doing it again in a different way but yeah the the clips thing is just um it's weird and it's it's not just us too i've seen other other podcasts within our you know gaming space that sometimes even get more views to than us also have little success when it comes to clips i'm really curious because digital foundry just launched a clips channel so I'm okay. I'm watching that closely to be like, okay, what are they doing? Does it have long term success? And if so, what are they doing different? You know, I I love that, and I want to keep pulling on that because I know that a f- like you guys are successful in spite of every single thing every YouTube guru will tell you for growth, and I love that. You guys also don't do really short forms or TikToks. Like you you have the Lockmore <laughs> edits, and we'll get to that. But yeah. Why is that, or what is the thought behind that not being an arena that you guys want to target when it comes to content repurposing? We have been experimenting with 
YouTube shorts, but nothing too crazy. Like we've been doing like one recently. It's been like almost one every other week or something like that. And so the, the primary thing of why we're not going full into it is just that as a company, We've been pretty anti like CCP Chinese government stuff, so I'm we right just, there with you. So it's all good. I yeah, love it. so we just don't want to post on on TikTok. Like that's a thing that's easily like, yeah, this probably could be good for us, but we just don't want to feed into that. So we have been doing that on YouTube Shorts, and I'm always just concerned because again, this is the thing I've talked to with with Jimmy about is that there's been instances of people that have a YouTube Short. That goes viral, which initially mm -hmm. sounds like a great thing, and all these people sub to your channel, and then they realize they don't like it or they don't click on the videos. And mm -hmm. so you have an inflated sub count and people that maybe are just clicking on your videos and not giving you good retention. And so that's something that I'm like, ooh, that would be really annoying <laughs> if we had like a good breakout YouTube short that have actually ended up hurting us. And dude, that's so YouTube to introduce yep. new features that they want their creators to do and then it ends up hurting some of them like when they did live when they introduced live video yep um and that totally screwed a lot of people it's just so annoying so that's a, that's another thing that we're just kind of like keeping our eye on but as far as you mentioned our you know things going against us we don't we don't do the the youtube norm yeah, like you guys aren't doing like the mr beast shocked face 45 different cuts in the first 10 seconds of the video it is so personable it is so just like you feel like you have this instant rapport with the content when you click in on it and that's the best part about it yeah and i'm glad you picked up on that just because i i know that our type of content is not the the mainstream right you mentioned like the mr b million cuts and stuff like that but as as people and and culture moves towards this tiktok you know quick content um, you know, things need to be snappy right into it. I do think that there's a lot of people that feel hollow from it. Mm. Like I know in particular, I mean, I had TikTok on my phone for a long time and eventually I was like, I hate this. I hate the way it makes me feel when I sit there for 20 minutes and just get nothing out of it. And so I eventually deleted that. I do sometimes still watch YouTube shorts on my phone. So I'm not like totally free, but I can understand, and I want my my theory is just that there are people out there that are wanting something substantial, right? That that mm -hmm. they can really dive into it and hear an honest conversation, even if it's just about video games, and and not have to feel like their their mind is being blasted with a million things at once. We can actually get into it and talk about something, and so even if that appeal is is smaller, I'm I'm just glad that they're they're showing up for it and. Um, checking out our, our content and finding value in it. I love that. And I think that, so, so I guess the way I want to frame this is obviously the North star of the business and it is a business regardless of how authentic the content is, sure. right? Like, yeah, absolutely. You guys aren't running a charity. The North star is Patreon conversions. Mm. So what is the strategy behind the video to reach people who otherwise haven't heard of you? on YouTube, on the free feeds in order to convert them into patrons. Well, you know, that's actually, I'm glad you brought that up because that's kind of the main thing that we're, that we're at now, right? Mm -hmm. You know, because we've spent since really 2020 when we branded the company, we've just been like layering 
new stuff onto the Patreon. And so that's been the strategy for, for us for a long time, which is building value, right? So we can convert people be like, listen, if you, for, for $5 a month, you get access, the amount of shows you get, uh, let's see, you get two episodes of Sacred Symbols plus extra a week. You get early access to the shows. You get all of this stuff. You get access to our Discord, and it's only $5 a month. Compare that to any other subscription. So that's always been the 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 main motivators. Like, okay, how do we add value, add value, add value? The value will appeal to people. And it has, and it's been great. We're Right now, it's crazy. We've I always think we're going to plateau on Patreon, and then something happens or sometimes something that we don't understand like just keeps growing which is 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 fantastic but the question that i had for colin and and something i've just been every once in a while talking about with people on the team is just like okay so we kind of have our set of shows like i i am a firm believer that we should not do any more podcasts i've actually made the argument that more podcasts ironically in a weird way can make it feel like people are getting less of a value out of our Patreon because so I many agree. of our fans, and this is a, this is the thing where I don't relate, but, and I appreciate it. Some of our fans are so hardcore that they feel the need to listen to everything, even though we kind of view it more as like, you don't watch everything on Netflix. Not everything's mm-hmm. going to be for you, but some of them feel that way. And so as you add more stuff and more stuff, they're like, I can't, I can't listen to all this. I might as well just listen on, on free feeds to things I can. It's like, Oh, like we've kind of had the opposite effect in a, in a weird way mm-hmm. by adding so much stuff. So the thing that I'm constantly asking and thinking about and, and telling other people to think about is like, okay, so what do we do to reach more people, the people that have never heard of Sacred Symbols or heard of Last Stand? How do we reach those people in a way that makes sense that's still authentically us without doing, you know, thumbnails on YouTube with our mouths wide open and like, did yeah, you hey, see hey. this? You know, like we want to... Just being dodged and burned in Photoshop for hours. Right. Yeah, exactly. We we want to make sure it's a way that's authentic to us. And there's another thing, too, where there's so many new, you know, there's there's teenagers that have no idea about us. They're, they're, they weren't, the, their gaming space is totally different than ours. And I just wonder, I'm like, okay, so eventually as they get older and, and maybe start to have jobs and commutes, like, how do we let them know about this world that we're in that maybe isn't quite in the forefront. So I don't know. I don't have a good answer for you. Cause that's just something that we're actively thinking about as we kind of, um, again, I would say plateau, but it hasn't plateaued. Like I was shocked last month. I realized like, Oh yeah, this is the best month yet. I feel like so. every month you guys are on here on the show <laughs> saying that's eh, the best month ever. It's the best month ever. Yeah. And I love that. So we, we you spoke a little bit about, you know, in terms of not, wanting to repurpose the content, sunsetting the clips channel. Is there anything that you see kind of around the corner, which is something that I think you guys are very good at in terms of identifying the niches that you guys want to go into, whether it's content type, is it, you know, whether that be subject matter or even just shorter form one-off videos? Hmm. That's the thing is that I don't actually feel all that compelled to do Hmm. new types uh, of content. And that's kind of the thing where... It's not that I don't feel ambitious in any way. It's just like I, when I was talking to you earlier about 13 out of 14 days, I feel like we're kind of like at capacity in some ways as far as new content and stuff like that. I think um, 
This is it's it's weird because I think that while this feels totally unrelated, I do think it's an important part of the business as a whole. And that's I personally want to do way more live shows. I think that live shows are in person, you mean in person. Yeah, in person okay. shows being a big emphasis for our, our brand in the business just because it first of all it's extremely energizing for the crew to to go out and and do these things they're super fun we get to be together we get to meet listeners and and you know actually see what they're like face to face but and i how do i say this in a way i don't want this to sound scummy at all but something that made a big impression on me just as someone who was coming up in this industry and really cared about one-on-one interactions with the podcasts i like i can remember Every interaction I ever had with a, a gaming podcaster that I liked before, uh, you know, I was on or even, you know, in Colin's company, some of those good and some of them bad, but the good ones I always remembered that made a big impact. And so something that we've talked about is like when we meet people, um, that's like a way that you create a connection for life if it's a positive mm. one. And again, I don't, it sounds gross to be like, we make a connection in life. So they become our customer for life. It just feels inauthentic that way but it is true that it's like i personally love meeting the audience and 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 seeing them and being able to talk to them and and actually creating that connection and even if it doesn't result in in more patrons or or whatever it's something that i just like i said is so energizing to me because for the most part you're seeing is text behind a screen whether it's in a discord where they're talking about the episode or youtube comments god forbid read those um you know it's never never venture in there yeah so i would like to do more live shows and we're talking about different stuff right now it's just um it's they're they're insanely tough ben is the one who handles all of our live show stuff and he's done an amazing job so far every live show we've done has been better than the previous one but yeah like i said they're just they take forever to plan they're logistical nightmares but i i want to do more of them are you guys, because you, you guys, I know from listening to podcasts, you guys hire out for live show production on the video side of things, that, or is that you guys that are actively doing that yourselves? It is um, a little bit of both. We have these guys, I want to say they're from New Jersey. Uh, they're called Catalog Company, and they are listeners of the show that reached out to us about um, filming our events. And it turns out that their work was awesome, and they shoot in like, you know, black magic cinema grade camera 4k oh, okay. cameras yeah so they're the ones that have filmed it but both of the the shows that we've done i did the edit on them personally just yeah. in order to to try to bring down the cost a little bit i'm sure they would do a fantastic job and i also kind of like doing the edits um it's fun to have a little part it, re- it reminds me of my old days kind in a not a negative way but doing the dance recital and getting the multicam set up of course and stuff. of course yeah that's awesome. Um, I definitely want to – first of all, I want to touch on what you said. You shouldn't feel scummy, right? Like I mm. think there's a great relationship to be had. Like I, I always cite like your barber. He's your friend, but he's your barber or like a bartender, right? Like sure. There's a financial transaction going back and forth there, but you're building that rapport and that brand sort of infatuation through YouTube, podcasts, whatever. So definitely don't feel bad about that. I think the value that you guys are providing is well worth – the for the amount of content that you guys put out so that's awesome i want to pivot here because i know you're you're tight on time the last thing you said and it's um you produce content on your own and this is something i always love talking to people in our position of 
when you're doing this 13 out of 14 days a week, does it make you more or less energized to pick up a camera and create something else? Way less. Yep. And it sucks. Uh, but it, it sucks, but not really, because I do f- feel really fulfilled in the work for Last Stand. So it's not like, you know, and this is, like I said, I, I'm in no way uh, taking for granted the the position I'm in, because some people go and they work at a steel mill and they have no creative energy. They don't get to do anything creative and they're totally drained from that. And so I totally understand that. But I do like uh, to make my own content here and there. That's just kind of fun stuff that wouldn't fit. Like right now I've been doing some retro game videos, but I took a year off. I did a bunch. And then for an entire year, I was like, eh, I just don't know if I want to do this right now. I don't know. I have the energy. There's other stuff I want to focus on. And then I don't know. I got the spark again, and and some time opened up, and I was like, okay, let's let's do it again. And then the stream, like streaming and stuff, is just fun, a fun way to connect with yeah. the audience as well. Like for the most part, a lot of people stream on Twitch. I would like to play more games on on there, but I end up usually just talking to people the whole time, and that's been super cool too. Yeah, I love that. So. Last question here, because I know you got to run. Dustin Furman, executive producer of the the biggest gaming Patreon on the planet. What's your advice to kids or even people who are looking to switch careers into video production for online media? What are the skills to sharpen first? What's the best way to set yourself out? If you could talk to 15-year-old Dustin, what's, what's the advice you give to that person looking to break into it right now? Let's see. The advice to any young person. Well, first of all... You don't need to go to school necessarily. I'm not saying it's a bad idea either. We were talking a little bit about that, but especially now the amount of resources online, you know, YouTube is just uh, an amazing uh, tool. But my, I don't know. I there's like a different, a million different types of advice I could go for. Like I would say, if you're doing hardcore video production, your skill set. Don't be disappointed when you realize that half of your skill set needs to be troubleshooting all the time Mm. that was the one of the biggest eye openers when i was working in production it's like okay so i i edit and shoot half of my time and the other half of the time i'm solving problems with either equipment or software and And it's always a problem that has never happened before right it's like hey i just exported this and there's three minutes of black space in the middle for no reason but it's there on the timeline so it's like huh do i do I need to update encoder? Do I need to just export this direct? Do I need to move everything to another project? So it's like, be prepared for a lot of troubleshooting skills uh, in order to succeed. And then I guess the the last thing, and I guess this is more specific to to gaming and 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 that kind of realm, is just that it's um it's gonna be really tough for a really long time for for my you know, journey or whatever you want to say, getting into games media was I heard a podcast called podcast beyond. And I discovered that people talked about video games and wrote about them for a living. I was like, okay, how do I do that? So I started a podcast with my friend, Brandon, and we realized like we, we started it and it seemed obvious like, Oh, well people will just naturally come listen. Right. It's like, no, we made that podcast for years with 20 downloads and half of them were our own phones, you know, downloading the episode. And it can be really discouraging when you're like, why am I putting all this effort? But it's like, that's 
that's when you really learn how to walk the walk and actually how to do it, whether it's learning to talk into a microphone and sound somewhat competent, which I'm not really all that good at yet, but I'm still trying, you know, that's like a process always is like trying to figure out how to talk, you know, well on a microphone, but also the, the production aspect is just it, when you've made a podcast for, for three years, even if it's for nobody, that's three years of experience making podcasts. Um, so you have to stick with it even when, no one's listening because that's how you actually learn how to do it. No one's going to give you a job or care about you when you're just like, oh, I've never done this before. Why would anyone give you? And that's the thing. That's something I had to learn. It's like, oh, uh, I'm really not that interesting or very good at this. So I guess it's just this long process of figuring it out. But, you know, it's it's that and, and having the the confidence to to really lean into it and, and also just the endurance to, to stick with it is the tough part. Like I said, from we started that podcast in 2014. And so I was working, trying to get into games, media stuff in some degree. And so it might've been before that might've been 2013. It was like over five years of making content. Like you work really hard and maybe you make a little strides, you get some review codes or something and you make a video that you think is awesome. And it's like, Oh, 50 views on YouTube mm. for a brand new review of like control. That was one of the big ones, big disappointments. I worked so hard in this review for the game control and then uh, it just totally flopped. But Hey, you know, that's, that's kind of the thing is that it's, you have to have the passion for the creation before anything else or else it's not going to be good at all. So that's the long winded yeah, yeah. answer. <laughs> no, that's perfect. And I think time is the great filter with all of that, right? Like you'll you'll see the the let's start a podcast meme and then three or four episodes in they run out of steam because they realize how hard it is, but the people who stick with it stick with it long enough to get something out of it. Dustin, you are first of all, do you want people to find you? I'll please plug sure. all of the LSM goodness. Yeah, so all of the Last Hand stuff is, you know, you can search Last Hand Media on YouTube and you'll find us. Or if you're interested in the Patreon aspect, it's patreon.com slash Media. As for me, I'm on Twitter or x.com, whatever it is now, uh, Dustin Can Fly. And that's also where my YouTube channel, where I'm doing some retro gaming videos where I go out and find uh, overly priced PS1 games and not be able to resist buying them. So that's available as well. I love it. I love it. The work you guys do at Last Stand is phenomenal. The content gets better, even as the team remains lean. That is such a shining point, regardless of the topic, that I think everybody in production should look to to say, you just got to get really good and really passionate about one thing. Do that every day and just drill down on it. Dustin, thank you so much for your time and uh, hope to have you back on again sometime. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.